Welcome to the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Lair, the CEO of Open Exchange. Our conversation revolves around the opportunities for virtual events in the financial services and professional investment sector. We talk about things like the specific need for virtual events in this sector, including the need for high-touch services when dealing with high-net-worth individuals. We talk about the value of telling great company stories when companies are seeking investment or going public. We also cover the challenges of rapid growth during the pandemic and finding the right balance as a company. And finally, we touch on Mark's unique vision for AI-powered search and filtering of virtual events and transcripts for investment opportunities. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and don't forget to check out the other episodes of the podcast on our website or via your favorite podcast service. for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings. I am delighted to be joined today by Mark Lair, the CEO of Open Exchange. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Miguel. So, Mark, I know you come from a sort of financial sector experience uh, and you have a lot of experience with different uh, areas uh, of the event industry and uh, and kind of connecting those worlds. Uh, but I, I wondered if we could start with it with a short introduction about you, you know, your, your, your background. And I'd like to particularly focus on that idea of when you uh, first came in contact with the event industry as an industry uh, and then, you know, also talk about what you're doing right now uh, with Open Exchange. Thank you very much. I've listened to several of your podcasts, and I recognize that no one comes to uh, events in exactly the same journey. Um, mine's a little bit circuitous, and I came in the side door. So let me give you some background to how we got there, because it all ties together in terms of how we're thinking about it. In some ways, I'm the Forrest Gump of Wall Street. I'm a young old man that has been around since 1978, when I became a block trader for Smith Barney Harris Upham. And a block trader sits upstairs, and you've seen lots of movies of traders upstairs. And we sat on a trading desk, and we put blocks of shares together, and we'd call down to the stock exchange to print them, and you'd see those go across the tape. One of my first big trades was actually for Warren Buffett when I messed up a trade for Teledyne, and it led to him using our firm to buy 5 million shares of Coca-Cola and establishing that position. I traded more million share blocks in the 1980s than anyone when I ran the trading desk for Credit Suisse. And I was known as Learjet because I traded the airlines and I actually advised United Airlines on their takeover by the union. And then I moved into banking and I've worked on over 400 IPOs where companies are telling their stories to investors. And in my life, I helped uh, Qantas and Google go public. And then Jamie Dimon hired me back to Shearson Smith Barney, which became City. And in one of my roles, I ran Asia for Jamie and Sandy Weil. And then I was recruited to a dot-com company called Wit Capital, and we did online IPOs. 
I became CEO of that public company. So now I had not only helped companies tell their story, but I had to tell my story in front of different investors in terms of different venues. And that company, public company, came Soundview Technology Group, which was acquired by Schwab. And I was on executive committee for that for one year before I retired. And that was supposed to be the end of the story. Uh, but the funny thing led me in the side door of the event space because when the dot-com bust took place, one of the things that the SEC did was to change how investors got their information. Previously, it all came from research analysts who had cozy relationships with companies they covered. The SEC created a rule called Reg FD, full disclosure. But this meant investors needed to speak with companies more directly, and this became corporate access corporate access. So, so by some counts, there are over 10 million meetings a year around the world between investors and companies. And the most efficient way for that to take place is through conferences and events hosted by banks uh, with companies and investors. And so I came out of retirement when I saw this idea to use virtual meetings to allow these events to take place. And my company, Open Exchange, was created to handle these types of meetings virtually in a secure and efficient manner. And that combines high-touch managed service at scale with technology overlays to enhance the participant experience. Really interesting. So Open Exchange is very specific. Um, I, I don't know if the platform is this, but the, the kind of needs that it tries to answer, it, the product tries to answer is very specific and it's very focused on this kind of high-touch investment uh, conferences and investment meetings. That's exactly right. If you think about uh, lots of events that you have, people are selling products, um, but here you're really selling ideas and content and information. And companies regularly update their information, certainly on a quarterly basis, but then these conferences allow investors to understand more about the company and the industry and create a mosaic view of investment. And so it's a very unique and interesting, and it has regulatory and security issues that you might imagine. Yeah, I can mention this. There's lots of rules. I know we wrote about recently how uh, companies in the UK particularly uh, are looking to do a lot of their um, annual general meetings online, but there is a potential uh, block there with the law in terms of if they can do that online, if they're if they're able to do it in person, and if they choose to just do virtual, if they can make that option. I don't know if that's something that you've looked into uh, with Open Exchange. We see the regulatory framework opening up to use virtual for annual meetings. You're seeing this, this trend towards accessibility around the world. And I think the pandemic really accelerated that. Uh, we're seeing legislative uh, beginnings, if you are, in the UK as well as in Korea that we think will bode well for annual meetings going virtual. Good to hear. Good to hear. So you mentioned in your introduction uh, about companies telling their stories, and it sounds like that is a kind of constant throughout your career. I wonder if you could share any advice or is, is there anything unique about the way you help companies tell their stories that, that you could share with us? Because I think that applies to lots of different events and lots of different types of communication. And, and, and I'm always curious to learn uh, about someone with, with so much experience in that. One of the things we're working on right now to jump ahead for where our vision is, is we have a partnership with the London Stock Exchange and uh, the CEO of the London Stock Exchange and myself are presenting at the World Knowledge Forum in Korea. And we're talking about the arc of a story. And it, it really is understanding that story is not just about the day you go do your IPO and go public, 
but rather the continuum of your story from when you do your Series C, when you do your Series E, when you do some trading in the secondary market while you're still private, uh, all the way through doing follow-on offerings and M&A. And we've created a destination on the London Stock Exchange called Spark Live, uh, just for this purpose of allowing companies to tell their story. We have nine unicorns out of Korea that have, have done that. They're still private, but they're looking for global exposure. And our thought here is that we want investors to start thinking about their companies in the same way they do their sports teams, that where they follow the company through its history, that you know that Amelia is an up-and-comer and you want to see how she progresses. And this gets into how we think about events and the life of events uh, beyond just the event itself. Interesting. That sounds almost similar to kind of social media for companies and kind of following companies on, on their trajectory. Is, is that kind of how you're thinking about it? That's exactly how we are. I talk about, in, in, uh, through my long career, I have a hundred sayings, but one of them is time is a weapon. And how do you manage your story so that you don't have five great things in one month, but nothing for the next eight? How, how do you manage the trajectory of your story across a year so that you build that momentum up? Uh, we definitely think about that when we encourage companies to, to tell their story. The other part of it too, that's developing very quickly companies right now, most of their stories are told on their own websites. I believe that there are going to be a lot of video content destinations in the same way there are in the in the public space like YouTube and Facebook and others. In the in the financial space, I think London Stock Exchange will have one. Open Exchange has one called OETV, which handles independent content. And I think people will go to those to, to follow these stories over time and create greater accessibility than simply the company's websites. Fascinating. And, and I think uh, the, most people predict that content will continue to be very important and, and, and you know, will continue to grow. So I wanted to jump into kind of the, the particular needs of a, a financial event, an IPO event and, and communication, not just the big IPOs, as you said, but kind of the continual meetings and conferences and virtual events that, that are around that. Um, what's, what's really specific about these events, uh, and these communications and, and what makes, you know, a good communication? Uh, is it just the platform being secure? Is it, is it a production thing? What are the kind of the elements that you think are, are, are important there? I think uh, the first thing to understand about these types of meetings is that there's a triangle with three unique participants uh, that are all very demanding. You have the company that is telling their story, and invariably that's going to be the CEO. Think about a Fortune 500 company. The CFO will be participating, the head of investor relations, maybe the head of sales. Very touchy, nervous about making sure they present appropriately. You have the investment bank that writes research on that company. And they're hosting the conference. It could be a real estate conference or a consumer conference or a technology conference. They're trying to pull 100, 150 different companies together for this event uh, so that they can have the, their, their clients, which are the investors, institutions like T. Rowe and Fidelity, um, thank them for allowing for this access to take place. And they are super high strung uh, of managing you know, 600 meetings in a given day. And then you have your trillion dollar investment funds such as Capital Group, Fidelity, Wellington, et cetera, um, who are treated like uh, gods in the investment world, and, and they um, have very little tolerance for error. So you need to make sure that all three parts of that meeting are taken care of and not only focus on one. In between the high touch, and, and we've gone from you know 
50 employees to 1,000 to 2,000 in 18 months as the pandemic uh, moved a lot of these meetings virtually, uh, three different solutions in the same meeting. We have one, which is a dashboard for the banks to be able to see the 600 meetings underway and know who's late and who's a walk-in and, and who we have to go chase down. We have a special green room process for the CEOs uh, so that they feel that they're very much taken care of by their favorite video ambassador that we hire. And then we have the investment firms um, that are moving between 10 different meetings throughout the day, and, and they need their own little app uh, so that they don't get lost. And, and when meetings change very quickly, they just click on one button to join the particular event. So it sounds like um, Open Exchange is not just a platform. It's, it's far beyond a SaaS platform, if you will. It's not just something people can, you know, buy an account for, log in. There's a lot of handholding and that's a huge part of the service. You know, if you put it in kind of percentage numbers or, or something similar, do you have an idea of how much uh, of your kind of workforce is dedicated to the handholding and the human element and the kind of making sure everything works and how much is dedicated to the technology and, and the kind of more video production? It, at this point, is pretty close to 50-50. Uh, we get a lot of uh, requests to become more of a SaaS model, subscription model. But for these types of meetings, what you really need to do is have managed service at scale uh, using technology to, to do that in a way that creates a moat that nobody else wants to compete with you. At this stage, we have 10 of the top 10 banks that are using us for these conferences. And I can't tell you that we really have any competition um, and it's really because we're willing to embrace the managed service part of it. That's that's been the trick, really, of going when when the pandemic took place and we went from you know four thousand meetings in nineteen in twenty nineteen rather to a hundred thousand meetings. We were hiring almost a hundred people a week um, as the pandemic took place. We would start training them on Thursday. Think about them as uh, Uber drivers, but but really beyond that. Uh, these are video ambassadors, and they have to have the skills almost as a flight attendant uh, of being really uh, delicate with all the people that are involved, but also understand the technology. And we would train them quickly on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They'd be a co-pilot on Monday, and then they might be a pilot by Tuesday afternoon, and we might hire another 100 people the following week. And so it's beyond even just the technology of the the virtual aspect of it, but the technology of managing those people from around the world, uh, managing their schedules so that they knew which meeting they were supposed to support. Uh, so it's incredibly complicated. And one of the things we did, for instance, is um, test line. As you remember back in 2020, everybody was quite confused about using Teams or WebEx or Zoom, and they didn't really do it very well. And so we had a, a massive test line capability where people would come in and we would know, Miguel, oh, are you coming in for Cities Technology Conference? Thank you very much. And then we would certify that you're good to go, uh, which really took a lot of the, the hassle out of the actual meeting itself. Fascinating. And in terms of the, the, the kind of technology, you know, the human element is fascinating. But in terms of technology, did that how did that develop kind of pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and, and now, you know, anything in the pipeline that I think is is future looking? It's a good question. Um, my big vision for open exchange handling all these meetings was really it was the, the top of the funnel. And then if we ran a thousand meetings a day, 150 to 200 would end up as video on demand content uh, that had a shelf life beyond that actual um, event at 10 o'clock in the morning. 
when I recognized that we needed to do that, we, we were partnering with a company called Knowledge Vision, and we ended up merging with them really in 2019, right before the pandemic. That gave us two capabilities. One was live streaming, and the other was really a video library that, that worked very well and had a few patents such as um, uh, Never Late, which allowed you to go back in time. But that created a um, development team that we had that was based in Ukraine. And they have been able to work with our top 10 clients to develop the technology to monitor and to watch all of these and to make sure everybody felt safe and compliant in all these meetings. So that development team has built technology that sits on top of the different virtual technologies that are out there. So we don't have our own proprietary video solution. We are really comfortable. We have a partnership with Zoom. We're comfortable with Teams. Uh, We accept when people want to use WebEx and we can have meetings that use all three plus conference rooms. Well, the same technology can do a live stream and do a video on demand and, and to be able to push that out as well. So it, it really is a combination of growing with our clients um, to help them help their clients tell their stories. So it sounds like you, you have a combination of the video tools, not necessarily you know proprietary video. You have the handholding, the human element, and you also have technology around kind of accessing, letting people access and monitoring who's doing what around that. Um, you talk about the top 10 banks and clients. Do they have, are the kind of systems that they use different? I mean, are you customizing the systems for them? And how far do you go with this customization for each client? That's a good question. Um, if you think about running a conference, let's say that it was previously down in Orlando and maybe you know, 3,000 people would be there. Think about all the schedules of the companies being there, what rooms they were going to go into, which investors were going to show up, what was going on in the ballroom. That's a lot of uh, data that's uh, being sorted out ahead of it and, and actually during the meeting itself. We had to move all of that into a virtual component. So that might be 11,000 rows of data. Um, and so we've created APIs to get it from the banks uh, into our systems so that, um, you know, if Colette was the video operator of the morning, um, she would know that she needs to open up Zoom meeting 472 and she's going to see the CEO of J&J. So it really is moving that data back and forth, not only to set the meeting up, but importantly, to monitor who's in those meetings. So that at the end of the day, our big banks like Goldman and Citi and JP Morgan know exactly who is in there. Because at the end of the day, just like a menu at a restaurant, they'll go back to these clients and say, hey, you know, you joined 14,000 of my meetings this year. And we think that's worth this amount of money. Fascinating. And and do you have any plans to look at other markets or is this purely a, a financial investor tool in your mind? Interestingly, um, we've done a a big pivot, as you might imagine. Um, In our first 18 months uh, through the pandemic, we primarily handled virtual conferences, but over 10,000 CEOs used our platform. It's not uncommon for a CEO to run into open exchange three times in a week from a city conference to a Barclays conference to a Goldman conference. Those Many of those companies around the world, and it is global, would call us up and say, we love the way you support that virtual meeting. Can you handle our earnings call? Or can you handle our investor day? Are your, are our AGMs, annual general meetings? 
And so we have uh, really, again, listening to our newer clients, morphed out beyond the traditional Wall Street use case I've been describing here, which is called corporate access, and, and helping companies certainly handle investor relations, but also now town halls, uh, learning and development, kickoff calls. Uh, and so we recognized the pandemic wasn't going to live forever, and we wanted to use our great success uh, to broaden out, and that's exactly what's happening. And are you partnering with with people outside the company to kind of design or kind of schedule these meetings and figure things out? Or is that something that the clients kind of handle exclusively? We, that's a good, another good question. We're experimenting with different uh, entities on partnerships. We have several, one that is a booking model. Um, and again, if you think about the top 10 banks, they don't all use the same software to move their 11,000 rows of information back and forth. I think there's three or four different ones and, and a few have their own. Uh, we can work with all of those uh, APIs to move the information back and forth. You're seeing the same thing uh, with video on demand and, and the different tools there that people are using. One of the interesting ones we're using right now is called Grabio, G-R-A-B-Y-O, and it really does instant replay for sports. But we're using it a lot for events. So by midday, we can give you, you know, five different 90 second clips of the best of what happened in the morning at that particular virtual event. So would you consider that Open Exchange is sort of producing some of these events or do you kind of classify it in a different way? Down the road, if you, my vision is that Open Exchange becomes the, you know, the Amazon for virtual meetings. And what I mean by that is fulfillment. We will help you think about what meetings to produce. We will help you design and actually produce them. We will help you distribute that uh, to your own audience and to other audiences. We will help you monetize that. We'll help you create a destination for that library so that it has a shelf life beyond that. We'll give you data around that. Um, and so we really think what we're doing is, is creating an ecosystem here where we're going to be able to touch all the way through. And do we end up taking 20% of that entire food chain? Perhaps. Uh, right now, it's it's more a la carte, and we're, we're billing by whichever part of that puzzle we're helping you solve. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you for sharing kind of plans, even if they're preliminary for future opportunities and, and things that you're looking at. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. One, one of the things that we're seeing a lot on the SCIF meeting side or that we're very interested in is this impact of remote workforces and a kind of distributed or hybrid workforces. Anything come to mind when you think about the fact that people may not be in the office or you can have to kind of, uh, you know, plan for, for people being all over the world? Is that just part of the design or does that impact the way people participate in events, but also the, the booking and the client relationships and those kind of things? Let me try to answer three different parts uh, to that question. The first is our our staff. You know, we have our headcount. Um, There's two thousand of which four hundred and fifty are full time, and uh, fifteen hundred are really these Uber drivers that are well trained up. They are remote. 
Uh, many of these people have never met each other. They're in uh, Ukraine, London, New York, um, uh, Bangalore, all, all over the world. Um, and so for us to be able to have video ambassadors around the world well-trained, uh, that remote workforce has, has allowed us to do this. We never could have done this if we tried to get you know 2,000 people in, in New Jersey. Um, from a company's perspective, well, I would talk to the, uh, the head of investor relations for a major China company last week who was in the U.S. to meet with uh, investors. He had no meetings on Monday, no meetings. This is physical. No meetings on Monday or Friday because nobody was home. Even when he went to their offices on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a lot of the people that participated in those meetings were virtual. So you're definitely seeing uh, the, the week get compressed into a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I went to a pub in, in London two weeks ago and I said, how's business? He goes, well, Tuesday is the new Monday and uh, we have a lot of activity of people kind of uh, coming in and doing client meetings on Tuesday night and Thursday is the new Friday. Everybody goes out and then Wednesday is kind of catch all. So you're seeing this compression. It leads me to my big idea, which really relates to events as well, which is return on time. Um, the, you're seeing CEOs make the decision about where they should be when they're talking to investors, et cetera, and how many conferences they're going to go to. Uh, one of the big questions is, is what happens with in-person versus virtual events in the future? If you talk to a typical CEO, you know, Three years ago, they would have gone to 10 different conferences to see all these investors. Now everybody's saying, I'm going to go to three. I'll go to three flagship ones. The other seven, maybe eight or nine, I'll do virtually because it's much more efficient for me. So when you lose your content for the conferences, that, that skinnies down um, how many conferences are going to be in person and how many are going to be virtual. Fascinating. Th thanks for sharing that. Um, it made me think also about... I, I, we're seeing similar patterns or we've spoken to people that say similar things, you know, that the big events are going to kind of survive and they're going to be the ones where everybody's at and you kind of have to be there. And the smaller ones may be virtual or maybe hybrid or there may be at least a, a different option. Um, wondered if you had any thoughts on, on, on this idea of kind of helping people find the content and the events that have the investors or the people there that really matter. You know, we, we talk a lot about more content, more meetings, more virtual meetings, more things. And, and I find there's a burnout potential, you know, there's that potential of just having too much and, and kind of dispersing things. And is part of your thinking with open exchange to also help filter that out or help kind of find the better content among everything that's being put out there? Miguel, you jumped to three questions ahead to what I really think is going to happen. And I think search capability is, is really the key to the future. You know, Lawrence Coburn talks about uh, his vision for the future, which included AR and VR and special contact lenses. I'm not there. I am all about what am I missing that's happening right now? And it's really going to be the power of search. And so it's not just finding the exact thing I'm looking for, but having that exact thing find me when I didn't even know it was happening. So just play this out. So Google search gives you relevant, but what I want is the event search that has live transcription across hundreds and thousands of events that are going on right now around the world. And what if I could have a tool monitor that for me with my preference list of the things I care about, and then sending me a signal about what was being said and how prices or other things were being affected by that exact conversation. 
I have a subscription to all of these and it allows me to do an instant replay to T minus 30 seconds from whatever triggered that notice to me. And then events produce event producers down the road, if they've enabled that search, it gives them additional revenue. So I, I agree with you that uh, there's so much going on. The real question is, am I in the right meeting? Am I missing something? And I think we're going to turn search around and we can talk about that a bit about how this really enables content from around the world to, to live not only live right now, but beyond it, you know, in weeks and months beyond the original presentation. Yeah. Happy for you to dive further in if you like. And, and kind of what comes to mind to me is, is AI. Is, is that a part of this? It definitely is a part of it. Um, where we're fortunate in that, uh, the, what people care about from, from open exchange is really content and is company information. Well, companies talk a lot about their stories and they tell them very repeatably and slightly different. And so you, I have all the keywords. If I go back through the last four earnings calls, uh, there's not a whole lot that's going to change. I know the right names. I know the right patents. I, I know the right name of the drug, et cetera. And so if you can preload uh, much, much of the information is the AI that goes along with the live transcription can get up to 98%. Uh, we did one for AIG, their earnings calls. And it was incredibly tight in terms of how good that is. What you can do when it becomes that tight um, is one, compare this live transcription with the previous four earnings calls and see what they're saying today that they didn't say before. Um, or what they dropped out. You can put sentiment data in. You can put, you know, green in for when it's they're getting more positive than usual, and red for when it's negative. Uh, it, it really allows you to correlate that right at the top against the stock price. So for an hour earnings call, you can see when a stock price is moving because they said, you know what, we're changing our estimate for the third quarter. We're moving our target for EBITDA up about ten percent. Uh, well, if you weren't watching that, you'd like to know what made that stock move ten percent. Um, if you had the tool we described before, I could go to T minus 30 seconds before that stock jumped and say, what did they say? I might have already known that. And then I say, oh, that's that's already in the marketplace or, oh, that is new. That's a big deal. I need to change my position. So we, we think that AI search, particularly in financial services, is going to be very valuable. Fascinating. And I think that sounds like a, a much more advanced search, right? It's It's not just a simple keywords, you know, what's landing on a website search, but actually going deeper into the content. And I imagine you're positioning Open Exchange to, to be the solution to make that happen. That is definitely correct. And, and you have to follow the, the logic of uh, not just for a specific conference or a specific earnings call, but this idea of a destination and the London Stock Exchange, we've been working with them now for two and a half years about creating earnings calls, annual meetings every single day. We probably do five or six a day. And we put it into this library that we've created with them called Spark Live. Um, and so we think that they have 2 million individual investors that are on Spark Live and they have 400,000 professional investors uh, through their partnership with Refinitiv, the old Thomson Reuters. Um, and so to, to have content there to really think about an Agora or, you know, the uh, going to a marketplace and, and wandering around and finding things you didn't know existed. We think destinations will play into this. If you have a destination that has thousands and thousands of video, search is absolutely critical to make that uh, come to life. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, and in something as, as delicate and, and as kind of important to be timely as investment, it does sound like that could be incredibly powerful. And I, th- I could see a lot of a lot of money being invested in, in that sort of thing. Fascinating. Um, wanted to kind of come out a little bit or zoom out a little bit. And, and you know, obviously you're, you're betting on open exchange, but from a kind of more of a event industry um, overview, where, where do you see the event industry going? And, and I guess particularly in virtual events are... are are we going to see a rise in virtual events across the board? Do you think that only these specific cases like investments are really going to play out strongly? Uh, and do you have any idea of kind of companies or technology that you think will do well? Let me start off by addressing hybrid. And uh, I'm a seller of hybrid and I have been. And I think that it's just so uncomfortable if you're physically at a hotel and you're trying to go up to a guest room and you've got three people at the table and you've got two people joining by video. It's just so awkward. Um, I believe that if you're going to do in-person, you should do it extremely well. And I think that if you're going to do virtual, you should do it extremely well. And we've got ideas on how to how to do that for different clients. Hybrid does have a place for investor days. You know, we handle Uber's investor day, Alibaba's investor day, and they had three or 400 people in the room and then they had 10,000 people watching virtually. Um, so that is a place that hybrid works. But I really think that um, if I'm right, um, you will have a lot of high-end in-person events. Um, what's going to change, I believe, is not just thinking about how to make it virtual at that moment in time, but how to have certain components of that in-person conference live beyond that three-day event. Think about event planners trying to make two or three of the events so special they come across almost like a TED Talk. Think about having six to eight to 10 of them uh, be part of a library that people really want to come back to as a reference for the themes that are going on. Themes that could have a, a quarterly overlay as an update. Maybe it's a new product. Or maybe it's something going on with an EV car. And you, you can kind of bring people back every quarter to get an update on how that's going and how many they sold. Uh, I think what you're going to see is the physical events start to think about life after that week and how to engage people. And in some ways, a different way to think about hybrid. Hybrid um, asynchronously, not, not that week, but but later on. That's where I think things are going to go um, in terms of how conferences have a shelf life and not just episodic once a year. And, and you mentioned, you know, you have some ideas about what a really great virtual event looks like, or at least the online component of an event can you share any more kind of details of what in your mind makes an event really stand out? The one thing that uh, we're working on that um, people have struggled with is walking up to the stage after the presentation and finding, you know, being part of that crowd that's able to talk to management or the presenter for five to eight minutes and to flesh out a theme and, and to connect with them to continue the conversation to a different place. We're creating something called Backstage Pass. Um, if you take a typical company, and I'll use J&J again, and they're doing, um, they're at City's Healthcare Conference, they're going to do about eight meetings, nine meetings in that given day. Some will be one-on-ones, some will be group meetings, and one of those will be a live stream to hundreds of thousands of investors. Um, to be able to create a Backstage Pass for 10 to 15 uh, key investors that wouldn't otherwise be able to talk to management and they go right into a breakout room 
Um, that's the type of thing that carries over that that missing ingredient that that in-person events have now that virtual don't. The networking ideas that you know Lawrence Coburn's Twine are working on haven't played out quite yet, and I'm looking forward to see how that does. But it'll be a combination of the quality of the presentations, and we're using a lot of tools like OBS and Grabio, et cetera, to make them look you know 4K-ish in terms of the quality but also the content itself and access to management in a way that, that they're willing to provide. And do you see these kind of, these online presentations becoming very similar to uh, like a TV broadcast? You know, I've had, I've had a several guests on the podcast that talk about hybrid becoming this sort of, you know, filmed in front of a live studio audience, if you will, or, or like a TED talk, if you were streaming TED live, that could be a hybrid event, right? Is that kind of where you're seeing as the, as the ultimate goal? I do indeed. I absolutely do. The best one that we have done to date is for New York Times itself, New York Times Investor Day. You can go to their investor relations site and um, and watch the webcast that we provided for them. The quality of it just jumps out at you, but also the way that they they use their own reporters to, to introduce the themes and have management present um, and they did have 400 odd people, I believe, in their own headquarters uh, studio. And then we streamed it out to thousands beyond that. In my vision down the, down the road, uh, in-person events are going to be so spectacular that you will have four or 500,000 people that want to go there to be there for that excitement. But that's going to be so good. You're going to have another eight to 10,000 people watching it too, just like we do now with sports. Yep. The sports analogy is, is always, always comes across a lot. What about challenges? I mean, we talked about the regulatory challenge. It sounds like we're, we're getting through that. You mentioned the UK and, and Korea, but are there any other kind of industry challenges that you see that still kind of need to be overcome for us to be on the right path to get to your vision? The challenges are um, as very much like e-commerce back in the in you know post.com. It looked like it was going to falter for a while, but really it's just had a steady march to now representing over almost fifty percent of online you know purchases from people around the world. I think that virtual meetings will end up being fifty percent of meetings for financial services uh, down the road as well, and and we can't even imagine some of the ways that. Uh, people are going to try to put these together and, and the scale and the quality. What, what happens when you do that is you're always experimenting and, and trying new things. And, and we all did that for the last two years. Um, you never really know, are you spending the right too much money on experimenting and not enough on getting scale? So, so getting that right and keeping your margins uh, in place, particularly in the environment where the pandemic is over. And so virtual meetings are off their peak. So you're trying to get your your headcount back in balance with your client's current demands, but also continue to experiment. So it really is about managing your growth, managing your margins, um, and and keeping the culture up that allows for excitement and uh, creativity. Love it. Kind of final few questions. Just wanted to get your your insight as someone who's experienced in in, in several industries and now also very much in, in this kind of events and virtual event sector. Any advice to people that are that are coming in kind of fresh and, and seeing this and maybe you know don't have the track record that you have uh, in terms of building a career and maybe investing their time in, in, in the in the right companies that that, that are kind of going to succeed in the future? I'll answer that slightly differently. Um, what I said to people joining Open Exchange back in 2020 and 2021 
A lot of them came from hospitality. Some of the best came from Disney Cruise. Um, they came from, you know, the AV industry itself. I said, come to Open Exchange and, and learn. It's going to be so dynamic. You're going to get 10 years of training in two years. I don't know when the pandemic is going to end, but you're going to get to meet CEOs of the biggest companies of the world. You're going to get to touch the emerging technologies. And at the end of two years, we'll, we'll see. And, and, and I, Open Exchange will be an enduring company. It probably will not be as big for a while as it was at the peak. But you're going to have a skill set that allows you to move on back to maybe where your passion was um, and, and really have a pedigree that's going to allow you to, to take off in, in ways that your passions uh, take you out. If you fast forward, um, R2000 was uh, headcount at peak is probably down to about uh, 1400 now to manage more closely where we are. We flossed uh, a nice amount, uh, a fair amount through attrition, but every single person that left has gone to a, a really exciting job. And uh, they, the people have said the role that you had at Open Exchange and your experience there, we, we think that is going to help accelerate you for this new company. So we'll have little Open Exchange ambassadors around the world, and, and we hope to, to work with them in the different industries that they're, they're working on now. So I would just say for others, don't always look at it as the be-all, end-all career for you, but embrace it for the, the two-year journey that it's going to be because you're going to see so much. Um, and, and then you can decide if it's a permanent role for you or something that takes you to wherever your passion may truly lie. That's such a, a nice legacy or, or very nice legacy that you, that you have there. So excellent to hear. Mark, been, been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Wanted to get um, your recommendation for somebody else or, or someone else who, who we um, could speak to on the podcast as a guest. Uh, thank you for that question. Um, Open Exchange is, is managing the World Knowledge Forum in Korea in September. And this is the, the equivalent of Davos for, for Asia. And it has 200 dignitaries, you know, including um, David Cameron and Ray Dalio. And, and, uh, and so we're handling all the live streaming. Um, it's the 23rd year. And they have seven different venues. Think about uh, the Metropolitan Opera House and uh, the Four Seasons Hotel. And um, and so really to talk to the leaders there about what it was like to pull together 5,000 participants right as the pandemic wound down and what changes took place from 2019 to 2022, because there's a heavy virtual component to it, but also the in-person with the dignitaries and, and how they're flying them in and moving them around. I think I can get an introduction on, on their thinking about how that event has changed over the last three years and what their views are uh, for the mixture of in-person and virtual uh, in the years to come. That would be great. We would appreciate that. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about that event and, and how it's developed and, and all the intricacies of organizing that what sounds like a really interesting event. Terrific. Mark, appreciate your time. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, and uh, just uh, what a lovely conversation. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work, Miguel. Thank you.